Although many of the laws of the impurity that is caused by tsaras, a house that has tsaras, or a person that is a matsaya, is learnt from a dead body, the Torah compares Miriam, the sister of Moshe, who got tsaras, to a dead person. Nevertheless, the next two Mishnahis are going to show that there are a number of differences between the impurity that is spread by a dead body and the impurity that comes from a Matsuira or a house that has Tsaras, or an item of clothing that has Tsaras as well. One very basic difference, which everybody agrees about, that's explicit in the Torah, is that the impurity that's caused by a dead body is such that the person or the item that becomes Tome is Tome for seven days. And the purification process involves being sprinkled with the ashes of a paraduma, a special red cow, but he has Tommy for seven days. On the other hand, somebody who becomes Tommy from a Matsuira or from entering into a house that has Tsaras is only Tommy until the evening. That is one very big difference, but the Mishnah lists a few more differences which are not all agreed upon. If a person who has tsaras enters into a house, all of the items which are in that house, as well as the people that are able to become tome, become tome, even the items that are situated high up, anywhere up until the beams which make up the roof of that house, or of that story at least, they will become Tomei. However, Bishimon Omer Bishimon says, Ad Arba Amois, only the items that are within four Amos of the ground become Tomei. And Bishimon's reason is because the language that the Torah uses when referring to this area that becomes Tomei and any item in that area becomes Tomei is Moshavai, the living place of the Matsuira. That becomes Tomei. Now, the amount of space that a person takes up is generally up to a height of four Amos. The average height of a person is three Amos. And when he stretches his hands up, he reaches a height of four amas. And therefore, up to four amas is considered to be within the vicinity of that person. It's all included in Moshavai, his place of living. And according to Rabbi Shimon, only the items that are within the four amas of the ground would be included in Moshavai and become Tomei. So there are two conditions, essentially. It has to be under the same roof and within four amas of the ground. The second half of the Mishnah also discusses a detail that is possibly learnt from this term Moshavai. Literally, Moshavai means the place where he is living. However, we've already learned that it's enough if a person is still. If the Matsuira is still and he's underneath a roof, then anything in that room, anything underneath that roof will become Tomei. Because the position that he is in is, to a certain extent, a position of being fixed there. He's not moving about, he's not mobile. And the position, at least, is a position of, so to speak, living and being fixed there. And that is enough for it to be considered Moshavoy, and anything there would become Tomei. However, what happens if he enters into a house that doesn't belong to him? According to the first opinion, since at the end of the day, the position is such of a fixture, Kalim Yod Tomeim, items will immediately become Tomei, regardless of which house he is in. In any case, they become Tomei immediately. However, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, in a case where he enters somebody else's house without explicit permission, the items in that house will only become Tomei if he remains there for enough time that it takes to light a candle. If he's there for that amount of time and he hasn't yet been thrown out of the house, that is interpreted to be permission from the owner of the house for him to be there, at least for that short amount of time. And therefore it does become Meshavai, but if he's there for any less time then the fact that he hasn't been thrown out of the house could just be because the owner of the house is busy, he's lighting a candle, he hasn't taken note of the fact that somebody is there, and therefore we are not able to consider it to be Meshavai, his place of living at this point, where any second he could just be thrown out of the house. 
Mishnayud Beis. Nichnas Vizakneses, if him at Tsaira, somebody who has Tsaras, wants to enter into a shul to daven there. The problem is that that involves being still inside the same room as other people, so everybody else will become Tomei. However, the Mishnah shows that there is a way for him to be there without making everybody else Tomei. They can make him a partition that is at least 10 Tafachim high, 10 Tafachim tall, and Al-Reichav Arba Amais enclose an area which is at least 4 Amas wide and 4 Amas long as well. That is considered to be the space that a person occupies, and that enclosed area is considered, halakhically speaking, to be separate from the rest of the room. Even if the partition doesn't reach all the way until the ceiling, it is a significantly tall enough partition that separates that area from the rest of the room. And therefore, the place of living of the Mitzvah will be considered specifically within that enclosed area. And even if he is still there, he is able to daven there, everybody else can daven in the rest of the room, and none of them will become Tomei. Now, this is all very nice, but what about on the way? As the Matsuya walks towards the enclosed area, he has to go through the rest of the shul. So he will be in the same room as everybody else. So the truth is, this is not technically speaking a definite problem, because as long as he is not still, even for a moment, until he reaches his enclosed area, and he makes sure not to touch anybody else, so nobody else would become Tomei. However, because there is a pretty high chance of him, yes, being still even for a moment, it is more advisable that Nichnas Rishain, he should enter into the shul first, and only once he reaches his enclosed area, then everybody else should enter into the shul, and there's no danger of them becoming Tomei, them becoming impure. And likewise, Vyetz Acharoin, at the end of the davening, he should leave last, once nobody else is in the room, so that even if he does end up being still for a moment in the rest of that room, the rest of that shul, there won't be anybody there to become Tomei. The second half of the Mishnah continues to compare the impurity that comes from a dead body with the impurity that comes from a Mitzayra. And although anything which is in the same room as a dead body becomes Tomei, there are certain ways for items to be protected. One example is Mukhov Tzomid Posel. If it is inside of a utensil that is fully shut and sealed, it has no opening at all. And it is made of a material that either cannot become Tomei at all, or it is earthenware, which can only become Tomei on its inside, but not on, it, on its outside. And in this case, where it's sealed shut fully, the impurity, so to speak, is not able to enter into the inside of that earthenware item, and therefore the item itself will remain pure, as well as anything that is inside of it. A second form of protection is Daphnos Ohalim which refers to something that is a movable item, but it is right next to and somewhat secondary to a fixed structure. A fixed structure has the ability to prevent impurity from traveling beyond it. For example, the wall of a house would prevent the impurity from traveling beyond there. A movable item that is right next to that wall, or is considered to be secondary to it, also gains the ability to prevent impurity from traveling beyond it. And the exact example that the Mishnah is talking about is where there is a pit inside of a room. It's dug inside of a room, which means that the roof of that room is also the roof of this pit. So without getting onto a special protection from the impurity, really, if that house has tsaras, then anything inside of the pit should also have tsaras, because it's underneath the same roof. However, the law is that with regards to a dead body, for example, if a dead body is inside of that house... As long as the pit is covered, even if the cover is not fastened shut and sealed, but it's covered with something with a material that cannot become Tomei, 
then that material, since it is right next to the walls of the pit, which are considered to be a fixed structure, so the cover also gains the ability to prevent impurity from travelling beyond it, and therefore the impurity that fills the house does not travel downwards into the pit because it is blocked by this cover. The exact details of all of these laws are not necessarily the topic of this Mishnah. The main point is that according to the first opinion of the Mishnah, anything that inside of an oil amase, under the same roof as a dead body, would be protected by mukov tzomid posil, by a earthenware item that is fully sealed, matzil tzomid posil beweis hamanuga. In a house that has tzoras, that protection of being inside of an item that is totally sealed would also apply. And likewise, anything that being under the same roof as a dead body would be protected by just being covered, for example, where there is a pit, that protection is achieved with a cover alone in a house that has tzoras. The identical forms of protection apply over here as well. The Rabbi Meir, that is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. However, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says that it's true that we learn many of the impurity laws from a dead body. However, the one glaring difference that everybody agrees to is the fact that the Torah already says that somebody who becomes Tommy from a dead body becomes Tommy for seven days. And somebody who becomes Tommy from a house that has Saras or from a Matsuira, he only becomes Tommy for a day. So the Torah is very clearly showing us that the impurity from a Matsuira is much more lenient than the impurity that comes from a dead body. And therefore, although we can learn these forms of protection from a dead body, there is logic to put it all down one level. And he explains, Anything that requires the protection of being sealed shut fully in underneath the same roof as a dead body in order to be protected, in a house that has tzoras, it's enough that it just be covered. So you put it inside of a earthenware jug and you put a lid on the jug. Even if the lid is not sealed shut to it, the fact that it is covered, as long as the cover is something that cannot become tome, that would be a good enough protection for the things that are inside of that jug. And anything that inside of a room that has a dead body, in order to be protected, it only needs to be covered. For example, things that are inside of the pit. We learned that you don't need to seal the cover on top of the pit shut. It's enough just to close it, to put something on top. Something that can't become Tommy, of course. So in a house that has tzoras, anything that's inside of that pit, even if it's uncovered inside a house that has tzoras, it will remain pure. Because everything goes down one level in terms of the leniency, and therefore we just consider the area of the pit to be a separate area, not included in the main area of the house, and therefore it wouldn't become tome, and it's not included in the impurity that comes from the Bayes Hamanuga, the house that has Tzara'as. The final parak, the final chapter of the Masechta, goes back to talking about a person who developed Tzara'as on his body, and in particular the purification process that is carried out once the person's tzara'as disappears. How do they purify the person who had tzara'as? And most of the laws that are going to be mentioned are learnt from Pesukim. Somebody would bring a container, some kind of jug, a container to hold liquid, made out of earthenware which is new. When the Mishnah says that it's new, that means that work and different tasks have not been performed ever with this earthenware utensil. 
And they place into that container a quarter of a loig of literally alive water. That means that it's water that comes from a natural spring that never stops running. That's what it means that it's, so to speak, alive. And the reason for that amount of water is because that's the amount of water in which the blood that is going to be added in a moment, as the Mishnah will describe, is very much recognisable. If there was more water, then the blood already wouldn't be so vividly recognisable. Or maybe she takes him Durar and he brings two birds that are free, they're not kept in cages, they are somewhat wild. A koyen then slaughters one of the birds over the earthenware container, the Almayim Chaim, and over the spring water, the natural water that is inside of that container, and he slaughters it on top of it in order that the blood from that bird drip into that water. After which, Chofar, he would dig a small hole in the ground where they are standing, the Koira Bufanov, and bury the bird in front of the Metzoira. The reason being that it is forbidden to benefit from that bird. And so it needs to be buried immediately so that nobody will benefit from it. And then, Notal Eitz Erez Ve'ezo Vishnisolas, the Kohen takes his stick from a cedar tree and a bunch of hyssop that comes from a hyssop bush and a red thread, and the thread is longer than the other two items, and he wraps the rest of that thread, the rest of the length, around the other items, so that those three items are now tied together. The hikiflohem roshe agapayim v'reish hazanon shel and he brings the tips of the wings and the tip of the tail of the other bird, the second bird, that is still alive, and he brings those close, right next to the three items that are tied together. The bird itself is not tied together with the other three items, but it is brought right next to them, in a similar way to how the Lulav, Hadassim, and Aravis are all tied together as one, and the Esrug is brought right next to them. Toval, he dips these four items into the water, which is now mixed with the blood. The And the Kohen sprinkles this solution of blood and water on the back of the Metzorah's hand. And others say that he would do it on seven times on the Metzorah's forehead. The argument is based on the fact that the Torah says that it needs to be sprinkled al hamitaher upon the one who is being purified, which implies that it has to be on top of him. So on the one hand, the forehead is the highest point on the person's body. On the other hand, one is able to lift up his hands and raise them even higher than his head. So according to the first opinion of the Mishnah, that's considered to be the highest point of a person. Now we learned at the beginning of the previous parak that there are certain cases with regards to a house that develops a nega, that even if the nega was not deemed to be definite tzara'as, and indeed at the end of two weeks it is declared not to be tzara'as, nevertheless a purification process needs to be carried out, involving two birds, and the Mishnah says that the procedure that is carried out then is pretty much identical to that which was just described. Just that, since we're talking not about a person but a house, the top point is not the forehead or the hand. Rather, he would sprinkle the mixture of the blood and the water on the lintel of the house outside. That's considered to be the top part of the house. You don't need the top of the wall, you need the top of the door. Mishnah base. the procedure continues. The coin comes to send away the bird which is still alive. 
This is part of the procedure that the Torah explicitly describes. The Kohen does not face the sea or the city or the desert, if they happen to be near one of those areas. Shanema, as the Pasuk says, He shall send away the bird that is alive, towards the direction outside of the city, towards the fields or facing the fields. And we learn from there that he needs to face towards the field and send away the bird in that direction. Continues the Mishnah. The coin then comes to shave off the hair of the Mitzayra. And he passes a razor over all of his skin. And that's not literally all of his skin, because only the hair on his head and his face, which is an area that lots of hair grows, and it's visible to everybody, that is the hair that the Torah requires being shaved off with a razor. And interestingly, even though in general it is forbidden to use a razor on one's head or beard, over here the Torah explicitly commands that it is a mitzvah to do so, and over here, obviously, the negative prohibition against doing so in general would not apply. Quite the opposite, that is the mitzvah, and that is the way for the person to become purified. And then Vichibus Begodov, he washes his clothes. He dips them into a mikvah, a collection of natural water which purifies the clothes, Vitoval. And then the person himself goes into the mikvah to purify himself. And at this point, Tohar he becomes pure in terms of making other people Tommy when he enters into the house. Up until this point, any place where the Mitzurah enters, any item underneath that same roof will become Tome. From this point onwards, that does not apply. However, he is not fully purified. He still causes impurity to other items on the same level that a Sheretz does. A Sheretz is one of the eight small animals that the Torah lists as being severe sources of impurity when they are dead. For example, a weasel and other small animals like that. And that means that if the Mitzurah touches somebody else, then they will make that other person Tomei. Now, until now, the Mitzurah has had to sit outside of the city, outside of a walled city at least. But once he has gone past this initial part of the purification procedure, he's now permitted to enter into the inside of a walled city. However, he is still, so to speak, banned from his house for seven days in that he is forbidden to have relations with his wife. He's allowed to live at home, but the Mishnah says that he's forbidden to live there with his wife in the way that he usually would, and only a week later may he continue to live normally with his wife and conduct regular marital relations.